Today's episode will feature the music of Andy and Robin Hassenflug. Robin is a professional cello player and plays as assistant principal and principal cellist in several symphonies from Wisconsin to Erie, Pennsylvania. Andy is an accompanist for the dance department of Slippery Rock University and composes music for dance studios and festivals throughout the year. I talk with them about their music, their lives as professional musicians and teachers of music, and what advice they give in making a career out of music. So you're a cellist. Do I'm you play cellist. anything else? No, I don't. I you started been, with cello. Yeah, I started when I was nine, and I've focused on that ever since. Yeah. There's just no time to do anything else. Yeah, especially <laughs> if you're playing professionally. Right, exactly. I mean, I don't know how much people realize when you're on stage what happens between the scenes or behind the scenes. Tell as us, far like as, what? Well, when you see an orchestra on stage, you see a rehearsed orchestra, but all of those players actually had to practice their music on their own as well. Mm -hmm. So you're doing your own individual practice. You have to show up to work prepared. Yeah. So you've got the practice time on your own and the rehearsals and then the concert. Yeah. So that's pretty much right. how you spend your days. Right. And percussion. That's your I'm main a, instrument? That's what I'm trained on. Yeah. I'm a multi-instrumentalist as for my living. Yeah. I play a lot of instruments. For what other living. ones do you play? Uh, badly, I play piano and guitar, <laughs> uh, and then I play all percussion instruments, and I do a lot of vocal processing. So a lot of like electronic manipulation of oh. voice stuff. Yeah. What kind of things do you use for that? Uh, I use many, but the main ones, I guess, uh, I use a a floor unit called a TC Helicon Voice Live. Then I use Ableton, which is a computer program a lot of people use. Um, and then I use a bunch of apps on my phone as yeah. well. Voice manipulation, is it your voice or do you... Yeah, mine. Okay. Just I mean, I use like a Like any, any human voice. I Well, when I'm writing and performing, I'm using my voice yeah. almost exclusively, but I use a lot of... I use a lot of samples uh from, particularly from a place called Freesound yeah. because they're free yeah. um, and there's no copyright and stuff right. but Freesound has everything like if you want fire engine sound it's there if you want a baby speaking French it's there it's just oh, okay. people upload yeah. anything they've recorded and um, mm -hmm. so I've, I've uh, I use that a lot so she started when she was nine do you remember when you started? Uh, oh, when I was before nine yeah, well, I mean, taking always lessons, had, no, yeah. but yeah, right. But you've always had it in you. Yeah, yeah. Lessons, I think I like, well, just in elementary school and fourth grade, yeah. I started with trumpet, but um, private lessons, I started with drums at maybe 12 years old. Okay. And then when you started at nine, mm -hmm. was it formal lessons then? And you it started was. cello? I did. I started in um, the public school with mm -hmm. my music teacher, Mrs. Reardon. And um, I'm smiling because I remember those lessons. I actually picked things up pretty quickly. Um, and I only know that because I have, I have a lot of different levels of cello students. And sometimes it amazes me at what they cannot do at the age I started. So I feel like, oh, actually maybe I did have some natural talent. Because yeah. the things that I found easy at nine years old, I see are very difficult for others. At, at the, same, at the age. same age. Right. And so I was kind of like, hey, I actually did that really well at nine. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not a really good measuring stick for my students. Yeah. Um, but before that, I, you, one of your questions was like, uh, 
did you notice some creativity when you were Yeah, do you remember like a moment that? in your life when you discovered that creativity, and specifically music, mm-hmm. was an essential part of you? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, because when I think back to my childhood, I remember the kind of music my dad would play, and I often attribute my taste in music to that, which was two things. He loved old school jazz, so straight ahead mm-hmm. jazz, bebop from the 50s, and then also classical music. We had Actually, I just acquired their old Beethoven set that we used Mm. to have on a lot, on the Mm -hmm. record player. And my mom was cleaning out her attic. And like, these are gold to be. Because these are the records I listened to growing up. So I listened to a lot of music in the house. And um, I think that just kind of got into my skin. It just was part of my DNA over time. Yeah. Not even on purpose. Yeah. So you continued through high school, mm-hmm. and into college, did you study music then? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, when I decided to be a musician, I was 15, and that was it. There was no turning back. No other profession nope. was, yeah, that was it. That's what you <laughs> that was to it, do. yeah. Did people warn you? Like, oh, yeah. oh you'll never make a living, oh, or it's so hard. Well, I have to say, my, my private teacher, Bruce Kramer, in high school, gave me the talk. He didn't say not to do it. He gave me the talk about what a musician's lifestyle could look like. And trying to be um, as honest and not sugarcoating as much as possible. And it's funny because I just gave the same talk to one of my students yesterday. Yeah. Because he told me, he's 14, he wants to go into performance, he wants to be a performer. And I always thought to myself, as soon as I hear that out of a student's mouth, it's go time. It's everything changes. Yeah. I'm not just playing songs for recitals anymore. Everything has to change. Yeah. So I remember the talk I got, and I just imparted that on my student mm-hmm. yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So, but I didn't, if you get the talk, as far as the difficulties and the challenges, and you keep going, that's, that's when you know the student, yeah. is, there's no changing them. And that's great. That's what yeah. you need. You need that, you need to see that in the student, or I needed to see that myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a humongous undertaking. You're really changing your entire life when you make that yeah. change. And when did you guys meet each other? Ninety-three. How old were you guys? Were you around the same age? Yeah, yeah we went yeah. to grad school together. Graduate went to grad school. Okay, mm-hmm. where did you guys go? Cincinnati. Okay. Yeah, the Cincinnati Conservatory. We were both working on master's degrees at the time. Yeah. Wow, so you both have your master's. Mm-hmm. And you are now at Slippery Rock. That's right. As an instructor? Sort of. I, I teach music for dance. I teach you the course that oh. the dance majors have to take about okay. music. But more of my time is spent playing for them. So you're a performer there, yeah. mostly. That's great. So you're both performers in your profession. Yeah. You're living the the music the musician's dream. <laughs> you don't have to wait <coughs> tables. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely got its ups and downs, right. and you have to work. I'm a freelancer, so I do several different orchestras. We, they're called regional orchestras. So essentially, they don't have a full-time series. They don't have a full-time year. So you piece together a living with many of them. Yeah. And then I have many private students. So and then of course for me, I play tons of weddings as well. So I have a lot of what you call gigs. And you then, have the busy season of weddings. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I do it. And Andy's got his full time job now, which wasn't always the case. We were always we had both been freelancing for some time before yeah. we moved here. Oh, before you moved to to uh, Butler, Butler area. Yeah, that's okay. right. Mm-hmm. And so you moved to Butler area, and that's when you started at Slippery Rock? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. So, do you have um, private students like Robin does, or is it just no. slipper rock takes all of your time and that's? It takes a lot of my time. I do a lot of commissions, and then I have a summer job. Yeah. Also. Oh, what's your summer job? I'm the music director of the American Dance Festival. Where's that? Durham. It's at Duke. Oh, okay. Do you travel a lot during the summer? Well, I mean, I go down there for five or six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And you stay down there for the right, right. You know, okay. it's it's ridiculously busy. Yeah. yeah. Can't travel back on weekends. No. <laughs> wow. You you do a lot of, a fair amount of traveling too to your orchestras in Wisconsin. I have one in Wisconsin. Okay, so that happened because I lived in Chicago, and there was a lot of us freelancers in Chicago taking auditions everywhere. So I yeah. won that audition in two thousand four, while we were still in Chicago, and when we moved out here for Andy's job at Slippery Rock, there were two things in my mind. One, if things didn't work out and we moved back to Chicago, I did right. not want to lose that job. Right. It was so hard to get in the first place. And two, um, I just love the job. Yeah. I just love the job. And since it isn't a full-time schedule, I'm able to insert the travel into my life over mm-hmm. here. So you're still with them? Yep. Okay. Yeah, and then you're in, in Erie as well? I'm a substitute cellist in Erie, so which is kind of nice because I'm not locked into a, ca- a contract there. Yeah. They just call me. I'm sort of on call. They need me if someone gets sick or if someone can't play. Yeah. I like that a little bit better. I'm, I'm a substitute in the Wheeling Symphony as well mm. and a couple others in the area. Um, so it gives me a little more freedom. Yeah. So you can say way. no or you can right. say, yeah, I'll fill in this weekend. Exactly. And then you play in the Butler Symphony. I do. I'm principal there. And I've grown to really love that orchestra. Our conductor, Matthew Kramer, had came in about four seasons ago. Yeah. And I say I always say he's flipping the orchestra. He's really mm. turning it more professional, bringing in a different kind of player, somebody who's in the audition scene, somebody who's really ambitious. So yeah. He's looking at bringing in more of these types of players. So that's I love good. it there. Yeah. yeah, that's good. He's amazing. Do you, you guys play together, do you write those, mus- those pieces that you play together? Do you find, pe- like, duos, or do you just put them together yourselves, or? We modify pre-existing music. So yeah. You know, it's like, so funny, that duo, because it, as you can tell, Andy and I come from very different musical worlds. Right. I'm classically trained. He's what I consider a lot more avant-garde, a lot more creative, mm-hmm. never uses sheet music. Yeah. And I oh, use sheet okay. music most of the time. He's yeah. more improv. So what's happened is we've sort of melded those two in mm-hmm. our duo, where we have some sheet music, but we often play off of the page. So we riff off of what we already got, somebody else has composed, yeah. and then we take that. And so I've learned to improvise more, and Andy's gotten back into reading sheet music a little more. We yeah, do both. so you kind of meet somewhere in the middle yeah. when you play together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the whole point of the ensemble. Yeah. Do you guys do any other um, just regular writing of music? Well, that's my side job. That's yeah. oh, okay. And he has um, a, a double degree, right? Composition and performance yeah, uh-huh. from Cincinnati. And I, um, <laughs> I'm not a composer, but I have composed. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I've done some writing, but not not like Andy. I'm not a trained composer at all. Do you have any of those on SoundCloud that you've written? Almost everything that's okay. on SoundCloud. So I'll be able to see that it's written by you. I can find that. So um, what about somebody in your past or your upbringing that has been an inspiration for you in taking this path? I mean, obviously, when you're creative, you pretty much have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, right. it feels like you're stifling it if you're not doing it. But was there somebody or something or some an instance that has inspired you to take this path instead of becoming a professor of music at Carnegie Mellon or something sure. instead of doing it the way that you're doing it? Do you want to take that one first, Danny? In terms of um, 
the the path tracing it far back as possible yeah. no I've always been into music and I've always believed in going through the door that's open yeah. and that's really what determined my path and even even my creative style has been determined by that yeah um, like what gigs I got influenced my style more than my style influencing what gigs I got mm -hmm. um, but in terms of one actual person that would be my undergraduate teacher he was my mentor his name was Rader Roach and, and changed my life yeah and, uh, very um, motivating and old-school in terms of very high standards and he wasn't mean but you know just more of an older style of, of teacher, and uh, he, I think he changed everybody's life who, who studied under him, really, yeah. in terms of work ethic and um, also musical style. Uh, his approach to phrasing, things like that, is different than other people's. Mm. So yeah, if, if there's one person, he's that person, but it, I don't know if he directly affects my path. Yeah, he, he encouraged it. Yeah, like, yeah, sure. In a middle point. Sure. Yeah. What about you? Um, it's funny because I, when I made the decision to be a musician, it's such a weird thing to say. <laughs> I, it's not like you wake up one morning, but I sort of had this pivotal moment when I was playing at 15. That's when I made the decision that there was no turning back. I was playing um, The Pines of Rome, which is a piece by Rispighi. It's an orchestral piece. And there's this clarinet solo. I even remember the guy who played it, but I can't remember his name. It, I was bawling. I was just like waterworks because it was so beautiful and I was like wow I can do this for the rest of my life you know I actually was just blown away by how it just touched my soul and just grabbed it and that was it it wouldn't let me go yeah but as far as a specific person I have to point to my undergraduate teacher as well um, her name is Regina Moshevak and she's the cello professor at Baldwin Wallace University in Berea, Ohio, right outside Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And she was somebody who was my biggest role model in my training um, as far as, first of all, she's a brilliant cellist, mm -hmm. beautiful, beautiful, soulful cellist. And then her teaching style was so nurturing, so, so, and such a beautiful smile and always, always positive. Also disciplined. Like I remember her being hard on me, but it wasn't in mm -hmm. a, I mean, I've had other teachers who were super mean. Yeah. Honestly, well, one in particular, and that was sort of soul crushing. Even though I got a lot out of that, when I was in undergraduate, I needed, like personally, I needed that nurturing, and she was right there for me. Yeah, just and so her family was lovely, and she had a she does still have an incredible solo career. Yeah, like she was always on tour or you know just really living it, but also when she was home teaching, she she never. She never had one foot out the door. She always was present in our lessons to each individual student. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she was really inspiring. So let's talk about practice. Mm -hmm. How, how, what does your day look like? What do you, how many minutes, hours, what do you put into? Um, okay, so when I'm preparing for an audition, that's right now as a performer who's working and also a parent, mm -hmm. I have to fit things in when my son's at school. So 
So an ideal day would be about four hours. Yeah. It doesn't always happen. And that's that's when I'm really doing a big push for a recital or an audition. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, now that I'm organized, you know, I'm kind of in charge of all my, all parts of my career, accounting, marketing, um, personnel managing for other things that I yes. hire out. Yep. So that is taking up a bigger chunk of time these days, just managing my own career. So that, the, the four-hour thing... That's when I have absolutely have to for auditions for recitals. Now it's sort of reduced between anywhere from two to four hours if I can get it. Yep. And I squeeze it in on a daily I basis. Can. Maybe five days a week. Trying. Yeah, <laughs> I try. I mean, life is getting in the way the older yeah. you get. But that's what my regimen has been over the years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Andy? I'm very sad to say that I don't practice a lot. I practice four things. You yeah. Know I mean? Like if right. I have a particular performance or. Yep. Um, and I, I don't think that's okay. I'm not. Uh, I can see my skills atrophying, particularly mm-hmm. the ones I don't mm-hmm. use professionally. The ones I do use professionally, they get better because yeah. I'm doing them on the job. I am practicing them, but um, but I noticed like my technique can't do certain something with my left hand that I used to be able to do uh, things right. like that. Um, yeah, I'm not okay with it. Yeah. Uh, that's but uh, I, that's. What life is right now, um, you know, and it won't always be that either. Yeah. Uh, well, sure. I mean, you can get those skills back. To, yeah, yeah, you. yeah. When Jude gets older, I could do it. And uh, against what I just said, because I'm like, ah, what was me? <laughs> I spend a lot of time composing yeah. that I could otherwise spend. I mean, this, if you talk about so hours dedicated right to now. music... Uh, I don't know if it's my focus, but it's what I end up spending my time on. Okay. I, I have commissions all the time. Okay. So there's always something I'm supposed to be doing musically that's uh, writing. And I, I don't end up prioritizing, oh, well, I'm just going to take two hours to practice instead of writing right. this thing that yeah. I have to write. Um, so so yeah, I end up doing that. What kind of commissions do you get? All dance from? companies. Dance companies. Almost entirely. Um, I, I did a piece for her sister's podcast and then the, you know a couple other yeah. things for little uh, commercials I've done the, the music for the montage commercials mm-hmm. uh, like at Sylvia Rock and stuff but but yeah okay. except for maybe one a year it's all dance companies okay um, Rob was telling me you just you were just in Asia yeah I went to what, Hong Kong Hong Kong what were you doing there for work uh, yeah yeah I worked with the dance company um, that was actually a reboot of a piece I did a year earlier with yeah. that company uh, there's uh, four people in it, uh, plus me. Yeah. Um, and that show that we just did a year ago, that was one piece, was the whole show. But this time they cut it to two pieces with an intermission that didn't. I played for both of them, but they didn't have anything to do with each other as pieces. Okay. Uh, and um, the the longer one is a game piece, meaning not not for me, but for them, it's it's more like there are parameters. Mm-hmm. about rules of, you know, their physical movement scores. I don't know if that, I don't know how to explain In that. In dance? Yeah, so they have to, they have rules about if this happens, then you have to do this. Okay. Or if this person's in this square of the stage, then you I have to do you. this. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the choreography goes like this. Mm-hmm. So we knew what was going to go on, like, section by section, but mm-hmm. within that, it was a game game piece. Uh, some people call it an improv score, but I wouldn't say that piece was improvised. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I just went there for that. Yeah. Frequently when I travel, because of people having to pay me to get there, um, 
there's workshops involved or I play classes for other people's companies or whatever just because then that's that's really how they're affording to get me there yeah has has your work in music taken you or given you experiences that you weren't expecting yes oh yeah definitely everything like I have is because of music. anytime I travel it has to do with somebody hiring us like even overseas um that's right yeah. weren't you just in it was 2014 that was well Italy, even, Paris? it was in Italy, Italy. okay yeah. Yeah. yeah I did chamber music in Italy we did concerts in a couple cities Trieste um, Venice well, not in Venice, outside of Venice. Mm -hmm. can't remember the other cities off the top of my head. But that was... Musicians and dancers have summer festivals. Festivals aren't festivals. <laughs> They're summer schools. Right, okay. Or, or right. chamber music series. So mm -hmm. in my case, it was like a series. So the director of this festival brought in musicians, brought overseas some musicians. And so essentially they paid for my travel and my lodging, which yeah. included meals. I think I had to, you know, contribute a lot along the way on my own, but it was two weeks long and it was priceless to me yeah. to be able to play concerts in Italy. Right. It was just an amazing experience. But then other things, like when I was in my earlier studies, I did a program in um, Graz, Austria, called the American Institute of Musical Studies, American Institute of Musical Studies, and I did that three summers. So it was schooling overseas, essentially, mm -hmm. um, things like that. Yeah, I think anything else can you think about? I mean, there's a lot, been a lot of programs that took us overseas. Oh, yeah. I mean, we lived in Europe for three years because I was in the Air Force band. Oh, wow. Yeah, the band. It was, it was amazing. Where in Europe? We lived in Germany. And this was a decade ago? 99 to 02. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, we got married and then we moved to Germany. Like right away. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Is there anything that you guys do now that kind of like a, a daily ritual or something that you do to get you started or, you know, something that helps you? Ooh, uh, yeah. I, um, I have to sit down and make a list. Yeah. And I've learned how to make my list to the point of really specific on my to-do list. So I'll have the thing to do and then I'll write the bullet points of what needs to be accomplished. Mm -hmm. And I do that when I practice too. I gosh, mm -hmm. I couldn't recommend a practice journal to anyone listening who's a music student or a practice journal. This is something I've journal. never heard of. Yeah. So basically it's something that you keep yourself mm -hmm. so that you know what, what yeah. you need to work on. Yes, because there's so many things. Basically for all these orchestras I told you about, you get the envelope of music in the mail and you've got to practice it. Mm -hmm. But then you get like four envelopes and you have to sit down with your calendar and say, okay, next week is this orchestra, so I have to do that stuff now. The following week is this orchestra. So during next week's orchestra, I have to practice for the next one. And so that's the kind of thing you have to organize or you'll just go crazy. Like, yeah. ah, what do I do next? But then every day, the best thing for me would to be to write down, because it's not just the orchestra stuff, it's the chamber music stuff, maybe you have a concert or a recital mm -hmm. or an audition, and you have to organize that in a way that you won't, you can't just go in and do it, in my opinion, you have to have some organization, mm -hmm. so you know how much time you need to spend on this or that. Yeah. So that helps a lot in practicing. And then warming up, then I mean, as far as like rituals or, you know, you have to warm up, especially the older you get, you have to warm up scales, just plain old open strings on a string instrument, mm -hmm. Those, that usually, for me, takes 15 to 20 minutes to feel like I'm ready to go. And it makes your brain get warmed up as well. You get back, you get um, into your space, into your practice room, and all the other stuff outside. Just You mm -hmm. leave it all outside. Is that easy to do? 
It is once you start. Yeah, it Good. is. It is for me. Yeah. Um, cell phones are the devil for practicing because sometimes when I take a break, that's what I look at, and then it sucks you into all the things. Yeah. So don't have your cell phone on during your practice. I can't yeah. <laughs> emphasize that right. enough because it's just it just takes you away whether you like it or not. It's, right. It sucks you in. Yeah. So I try to stay away from the phone. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Andy? <laughs> Do you have any rituals or anything yeah, that helps you get? Um, okay, so days that I don't go to Slippery Rock, I mean, the ritual would be making a list, which isn't, I'm not particularly, you know, but that, I do that. I did that this morning. Or yeah. or more like sitting down and looking at yesterday's list and... Seeing how and, much you have yeah, left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> but um, uh, that's probably just a life thing having nothing to do with yeah. music or career in particular. On days that I do go to Slippery Rock, uh, it's an hour from here, so I have now... Downloaded slash nowhere to find um, three or four different vocal programs. So my commute, I'm practicing mm. singing, and mm-hmm. and uh, because I find that that's the thing that if I don't warm up, uh, I'm now the worst at. I mean, I'm, I've reached a point. I'm 48 where my body just won't do it if I don't warm up. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I spend an hour on the way up uh, doing different vocal exercises. Yeah. You know, just like long tones or arpeggios or simple things like that. Yeah. Um, when you say arpeggios, mm-hmm. is that like a, a mm-hmm. scale? Do, or? me, sol, me, okay. do, do, me, sol, do, me, okay. sol, me, do, sol, me, do. Do you have perfect pitch? No. Song Our does. kid does. He's does way more he? talented than either of us. <laughs> I think he's both hers and mine combined. Yeah. His talents. Yeah, his yeah. natural ability is pretty amazing. We don't have that. No, he's more than us. <laughs> so I don't know how sure. he just extracted something from That's our true. DNA oh, and yeah. created his memories and saying it's, it's Yeah, incredible. and I also think that he's surrounded with that. Yeah, he's surrounded by musicians and like music. people who think about it and really care yeah. about it. It's not on in the background and, you know, we're like, oh, hey, did you hear that that happened to that, you know. Right. He's really in it. He comes to concerts. But he yeah. probably won't be a musician. You think. Fingers I, crossed. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want this life for him? <laughs> I, 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 actually, the of all the advice, because I remember you asked her if anybody ever said, you know, don't do this because yeah. it's really hard. Of all the advice I've ever gotten, the... The most fear-based slash conservative advice is the what did me harm. Mm-hmm. The, the the advice I ignored about don't don't be a musician or whatever or don't you want to health insurance or whatever. <laughs> all the all the advice I ignored, I made the right choice. All the mm-hmm. advice I took, I made the wrong choice. Uh, for you know, in terms of people like looking out for my yeah. my own good. Yeah. Um, so so I say that no, I don't want you to be a musician. Um, because I don't want him to have the struggles that I've had. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, maybe that's kind of stupid. Mm. But I still believe it in my heart that I'd rather have not be one. Yeah, we, yeah. Don't, we don't tell him either way. Of course, yep. we support what he wants to do. But just watching what attracts him, it's all computer-based. Yeah. He started writing code for code. He's, you know, at first he learned coding, but now he said he wants to change the rules for coding itself. Yeah, he yeah. wants to make his own so, language. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to watch. Yeah. And that's what he's drawn towards. Yep. But he plays trombone, he started on piano, he has the skills. I think he's going to meld the two things. He likes music away. now, yeah. Yeah. where we forced him to do it for a long time, yeah. and now we don't have to force him. Yeah, he actually likes it, it and he talks about the thing they played in band or whatever. Mm-hmm, right. And it used to be like, 
Pulling she was much better at it than I oh, ever was. Teaching and practicing. Yeah, practicing with him. Yeah. Oof, I would be like 15 seconds in, I'd be like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and she'd be like, look at the monkey. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's the only way with children. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, he has musical ability. We don't know we where don't that's going to go. Right. That's interesting. My middle son, my oldest plays violin, and our middle son play, he started out with guitar. And he just did not like it at all. And we're like, okay, we're not going to force you to play. Right. You know, so you can read music. If you ever want to do it again, at least you can read music, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And then we let him stop, and we got him. He has an electric and an acoustic guitar. And he kind of stopped that, but that's what got him into electronic music and mm-hmm. writing it. And, oh, listen. Nice. and so now, that's all he does. He doesn't play computer games or anything. He just sits down on his laptop, <sighs> and he that. writes music, and he's fiddling with Ableton and trying to figure Amazing. out how it works. I'm like, I had nothing to do with that. Wow. So you're right. Sometimes you just need to encourage and then step back. Yep. And it's hard when so. they're not doing something you really do. Like, you're so good at that. Why don't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Do you guys listen to any podcasts or YouTube channels or read books? I listen to a lot of podcasts. I've gone from audio books to podcasts in my commute. Yeah. Um, but they're not music related. Which one? What, what do you listen to? Um, Girl Boss Radio, I love. It's always, she always brings in um, a CEO of a company. And I feel like musicians can gain so much from, from different aspects of the world, different industries. Yeah. So it's always a different industry that she's interviewing the CEO mm-hmm. for. Um, another one I listen to is Jillian Michaels. Oh, <laughs> she's yeah. The fitness the guru. Yeah. yeah, I mean, her, She's she's got amazing life skills that yeah. you can, and I always, I'm into fitness, so I always apply the mental toughness of fitness and sports to music. Mm. Very, yeah. very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the discipline involved and the mental focus involved it's almost 100% the same, in my opinion, yeah. between sports, fitness, and musicianship as a performer. Yeah. So those are my two biggies. Um, in terms of podcaster stuff, I don't do this a lot. I'm not going to pretend that I'm <laughs> really spiritual or anything, but the, the single most important book for me to read was called Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, and it's just... It's, I think it's three different sections of, yeah. of Zen Buddhist mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and in the tiny amount of time I read now, I'm reading a, a book uh, by a philosophy professor that I know that's kind of about the same thing. Is that Chris's book? Or, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, Chris Niebauer. He's a professor at Slippery Rock okay. University. His, his, the book's kind of like Zen Buddhism meets Eckhart That was Tolle. a plug, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in terms of like my development of... Honestly, my relationship with music or the peace that music can have or the concentration mm-hmm. level that you need mm-hmm. for music, um, that I got more from that. Uh, podcasts and other sort of interview-based things, my, not that I have an issue with them, they're great, but in the arts, you have to say something about what you're doing that makes sense to people so you can say like well I was I I visited Russia and I saw the difference between this and this class of people and so this piece is about you know disenfranchised people and how they need power right and that's how you can talk to other people about the work Mm -hmm. and so that's what happens in those podcasts where really if you were to 
tell me about this work, you know, it'd be like, well, it's in, you know, it's in a, a synthetic mode and every, you know, then the rhythmic cycle is 13 counts and every 10 rhythmic cycles, I introduce the retrograde of the original theme. And that's what has meaning for me. <laughs> right. But exactly. you're never going to hear that on a podcast no, because right. it's not consumable by people. Yeah. It's a very um, small percentage so of the audience. That's, that's right. also why I can't deal with post-concert talks yeah. because that's what they're about. And that's nothing wrong with that. That's great for the audience. But for me, it's like, that's really like the... The message of your of your work yeah. is just like one yeah, <laughs> percent of to me as a as a consumer of yeah. art is like one percent of it, and mm-hmm. and the actual art is the ninety nine percent of it, right. and that yeah. doesn't it's it's very difficult to converse about that. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think that's you though. That's you, more you than me. Sure. Yeah. When I talk to the audience, it's like part of my mission to grab non-musicians mm-hmm. and draw them into what's about to happen or what just happened. So, um, yeah, you're totally right. I, I think, but that's part of my MO as a right. musician, as a stage performer, I'm always trying to grab audience members, whether it's with the music itself or with explanations of what's going on. Yeah. Um, I think I'm more of a stage speaker than Andy is. Oh, heck yeah. So I usually do the talk. So you're like the stage person. You're almost the behind the scenes technical. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that's how stage works. Sometimes I, I know you hate it when I backseat um, coach for speaking, but no, I'm, I'm, we do the Hasenflug duo in a children's museum. So we always have the mic, uh-huh. and we're always trying to draw the kids towards us and explain what we're doing. And when Andy speaks, like sometimes I'm like, honey, you've got to use kid words. <laughs> Retrograde inversion is not going to work. Here. I, I knew so, I still don't know a lot about kids, but I knew so little. And I taught lessons for... 20 years yeah. to little kids before I had a kid and boy I was awful at it and I didn't even know you know because I'd just be like no no eighth notes go one and two and do it again you know like yeah. and the kid's like six and then I take my kid to uh, a real child music teacher you know and she's yeah. like raspberry upside down you know and you're like oh you have to speak I have to, to do them that? that way yeah and I just feel sorry, you know, for like thousands of parents that sent their kid to this like dry guy who talked to them like he'd speak to adults. Well, maybe one or two of those kids you, That's you know, true. got through some to. Yeah, yeah. Some of them don't want to be talked yeah. to that way. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so don't feel so bad. That's great. Um, do you have favorite musicians or composers that you like to play? Many. I and mean, it's hard to even start, but if I had to choose my two top composers would be Bach and Brahms. Different, but all the composers after Bach learned from him Hmm. about their... Like, he was sort of pivotal in music that followed his era. Hmm. So many of the big composers you'll hear, Beethoven, Mozart, they study Bach. Hmm. Okay. So, I guess those... And then to play, I also love playing the two. Yeah. Those are my favorite, I would say. To play, not to listen to, right? That's a different. Both. Question. I want both. Okay. Yeah. To play, nobody. Um, I mean, <laughs> I like to. Yeah, there are definitely. I've had great experiences playing different yeah. pieces. Pines of Rome that she mentioned. That's, yeah. If you play bass drum in that, that's uh. awesome. Same with the Prokofiev Romeo and Juliet. Um, it's, and you're mostly standing mm-hmm. there, like as a percussionist, you're mm-hmm. counting to 400 before you play anything. But, <laughs> um, but those pieces are really gratifying to play. Uh, and then. 
a lot of bar gigs, you play terrible music, but if it's going well, yeah, that's really you know you could really be into Sweet Home Alabama, even though I could never ever listen to that. <laughs> but um, but to play in, in terms of really a composer, it's mostly who I'd rather play with because I do a lot of improv. So those other people would be the composers. Um, yeah. And and the summer festival, I do the best thing about it because otherwise it's pretty taxing. Is that some of those people are there? Yeah. And I get to work with them, and and you realize oh. You have this magic thing that you don't have any other time in the year. Yeah. Um, but to listen to, definitely Bach, uh, uh, some of the high Renaissance people like Josquin and um, Palestrina. And then uh, I'm always searching for rock music that I like and is smart at the same time, which mm-hmm. is very hard to find. Um, and sometimes I abandon the smart and just get into it on the animal level. But, but <laughs> so recently I've been listening to Fishbone, yeah. and they are fantastic, and they are you know really hard edged at times, yeah. and but also intelligent and and, and uh, innovative composition and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I like a band called Knower as well for the same reasons. A lot of doors have opened in a different direction for me in the past five or six years, musically speaking. Mm-hmm. That has been really fun. Um, I think, you know, I've studied classical my whole life, my whole career, but I've also listened to a lot of different styles. Mm-hmm. So on gigs for weddings, I a couple months ago, before the wedding started, there was an empty space, and I was sitting with these two local musicians. I wish I could remember their name. Mm-hmm. One was a jazz bass player, and one was the jazz piano player. Okay. But we were there to play Pachelbel Cannon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we started jamming. They started playing. Yeah. They just started doing some jazz. And then I just started doing bass line because I studied how to play a jazz bass line a long time ago. And I also listened to a lot of it growing up. And yeah. I found that I was just doing it. Like, I was just getting You were doing it. this without a bow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. But, like, harmonically, I was following them. Yeah. And I was actually doing And they were kind of blown away because they're not used to the classical musicians mm-hmm. chiming in. Mm-hmm. Um, other things, I played in a rock band a couple times with Whitney Jenkins. Oh, right, yeah. And um, she sort of opened the door to the other part of my musical soul, which has always been rock and pop. I've always listened to that as well. So then I've been, I found myself on that path. Yeah. I picked up, I played with Trans-Siberian Orchestra, which is just full-on mm-hmm. crazy rock. Mm-hmm. And it's so much fun. So I don't live at myself anymore. I just feel like... I've done the classical thing for so long. I get it. I can do it. But there's so much more out there that's kind of taken me in a lot of directions that I never saw coming. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really happy that I've allowed myself, I yeah. guess is the word, to go off and do rock. But then again, like, I feel like what, what Andy was saying about smart rock um, or smart pop, there really is a difference. Mm-hmm. And some of the people I work with really get it, and they, they challenge me to do things that... Um, involve a lot more improvisation and, and knowledge of composition mm-hmm. just basic things so I think I would just add that you know I don't think it's healthy to limit yourself as a musician mm-hmm. which is easy to do when you have an audition coming up or an orchestra right. concert but um, or you're just so focused on one right, type of right. music or... but I think it helps your music I think learning to improvise helps playing Bach because mm. he his harmonic structure is very complicated and you understand it better when mm-hmm. you're focusing on the building blocks of music, which is what you do in jazz. It's all yeah. harmonic changes. You have to know what's next. Yeah, wow. It's a roadmap. So anyway, I feel like that's enhanced my music considerably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So that's my last little bit to add because I don't, I don't think it's healthy to just play one style for your entire career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not for me, at least. You'd burn out, I would think, too. You'd burn out. On I one think percent. I was starting to burn out a little, mm. honestly, and I feel like it helped revive mm -hmm. something in me that I really am. You know, I'd like more of that. Mm -hmm. So we'll see where the paths take me. Yeah. The open doors, as he said. Yeah. 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 I, I think that. Uh, very similarly to what Robin says, if there would just be one thing I'd say about the career, is that for full-time professional musicians, very few, like 1%, are people who are doing just exactly what they want to do. You know, mm. the style that they want to mm, do, true. their own songs, whatever. Um, and so the more you can be open to enjoying different styles or different genres, whatever, uh, the the better off you are. You're not going to be playing, you know, like when I was a kid, I wanted to play in Frank Zappa's band, and that's what I wanted, you know what I mean? And if I was like, no, I'm only going to play progressive rock, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, then I would not have any jobs. Yeah. And so my style now is nothing like that because I've spent so many years making music for people that fits what they need it for. Yeah. You know, that, that all those different things I've had to do now influence my own style and I think that you you need to be open to that or you're either going to quit or just be mm -hmm. miserable because mm -hmm. there are the miserable people too oh, we know lots yeah. of miserable people you know they, they do gigs and like Musicians, this gig is yeah. stupid yeah. this oh. music is cheesy it's yeah. like well okay you can take that <laughs> attitude about it you know and, and you're not wrong but right. you're choosing to be unhappy yeah. doing the, what you want to do yeah, right. there's the joke in there it says uh, how do you get a musician to complain give them a gig yeah <laughs> that's good yeah it's yeah. not wrong <laughs> well yeah that's good advice but clearly you guys are taking your own advice too yeah because I, I think it's really important to be happy yeah. in your work yeah yeah um, especially when the the income is so low as, yep. a, as a freelancer. I mean, Pittsburgh Symphony right. people make a, a really decent living. Um, freelance is a lot more piecing it together, so you're going to show up to things that mm -hmm. you don't like. But mm -hmm. if you're happy and you can, if you can grab something from that, mm -hmm. whether it's the music itself or the experience itself, yeah, like Trans Siberian Orchestra, like I never in a million years thought I would have so much fun with that. Yeah. Because you don't typically listen to them, no, but you, it was amazing playing with yeah, them. Yeah, it was a blast. So those are, there yeah. are other things that you can get on yeah. a gig. It's like seeing the forest through the trees. Right. I want to thank Andy and Robin for allowing me to use snippets of their written and performed work. Go to the show notes for this episode to see the names of the pieces I used and where you can find their music online. Just look for episode 13 at smithical.com under the podcast tab.